So I'm hanging with uh, Kelly Preston, and uh, we're jamming out at the bowling alley. Uh, and they got the karaoke jams going, and like, you know, I'm doing the karaoke. She's doing the bowling. Um, I wasn't doing I Will Survive. Um, I was doing. Uh, fuck, I can't remember the name of the song, but I was gonna say cakes, cakes, cakes cover of. So you're back from outer space. Uh, <laughs> I will survive. Is that I will survive? Oh, that is I will. Wait, is that what you said? <laughs> and then it, and then it reminded me of that other cake song called. I will survive in my Mach 5. <laughs> so confused. <laughs> I am recording this. Are you not recording anymore? Side jerks. This is James. Also with me is Taylor. How you doing, Taylor? Hey, what's happening? I'm doing all right. How are you? So, I'm uh, I'm doing great. I'm uh, well, yeah. What was your favorite thing that you did today? Um, today, uh, this is my favorite thing that I'm doing today. Uh, I, there we uh, go. I did. Um, I sautéed some salmon earlier. It was delicious. I uh, marinated it overnight, and basically a margarita with uh tahine and um thai chilies and just threw it in a bag and left it in my fridge overnight and now are we talking margarita m-a-g-h-e-r or are we talking m-a-g-a-r i'm talking about about tequila and margarita mix and um yeah some uh some peppers and spices it was very cool it was very good you know that that's very similar to what I made myself earlier. I had a uh, a meal shake. <laughs> yes, very similar. Was it was it a salmon meal shake? No, it wasn't. It was. Huh. I, I it was a, actually check this out. This is artisanal. I I, I mixed. I, it was my own recipe. I took one scoop of soylent. I took one scoop that was left of cachava. Which is, by the way, if you don't know, superfoods, it's great. It's a fantastic substitute. Cachava with a K. And then a little bit of amazing grass peanut butter chocolate uh, powder. Threw all that together. I made some gross chocolatey milk thing for uh, my breakfast. So just like yours. Uh... So, do you, uh, so do you do Soylent because you just hate food? No, I was doing Soylent for a while because I just kind of got lazy and uh, now realizing that it was this immense, crazy depression that I was going through. But uh, I was eating mostly that, which is ridiculous. And uh, 
I lost a ton of weight that I didn't wa- want to lose, and I, uh, you know, so if you want to lose weight, I guess it's fantastic. So what happened was that uh, I, I was doing Soylent a lot, and it would, it would yeah, kind of take over for at least a breakfast a day. And uh, after a while, I started smelling like Soylent. Like, I felt like it was seeping through my skin. And what does it, it, it smell to, like? It's chocolatey. So, like, or I have the chocolate oh, flavor oh. or whatever. So I get this sort of minerally chocolatey thing because this is just huh. built of a, a bunch of different vitamins and minerals and a lot of stuff that's synthesized uh, for Soylent, right. at least. This is why I love cachava so much more is because it's all naturally derived stuff and it just feels that much better. But okay. Soylent, yeah, it started. It, I started sweating and kind of smelling like it or something. At least that's how it felt and and I was kind of over it. So I stopped that, but I had a whole back stock left over. So every once in a while I might dip into it if I'm, if I'm running low on something else. But it is not my main meal shake. My main meal shake is, once again, cachava, K-A-C-H-A-V-A. If they want to sponsor the podcast, we are uh, more than welcome to have them. But yeah, an interesting day. I uh, uh, plans fell through. Feelings were strange. Uh, and uh, yeah, you were gonna say uh, Midsummer, right? I was. I was going to see Midsummer, and uh, this, uh, so far haven't seen it. So there we go. Well, yeah. When we both see it, we'll definitely be talking about that. And we'll talk about um, it. Yeah, at a later date. Um, oh, I still man. haven't seen Hereditary, so. You know, maybe I should watch that first. You know, I would love to talk about that because I feel like I need to rewatch that. Uh, okay. Because so many people love it, and I get it. It's 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 a fine horror movie, but I really didn't think it was leaps and bounds of uh, you know over anything like the same way that so many other horror movies recently have actually kind of like changed the game, like The Witch or Get Out and stuff like that. I, I felt Hereditary was sort of straightforward. Um, it was definitely creepy, but for people to be so oh man, this is the scariest movie I've seen in like a very long time. It's it's interesting to me. So I feel like either I missed something or maybe I'm just one of those who didn't really care for it. So I'd love to talk about that if, once you watch that. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I don't really get scared from movies, but I look at every, I try to look at every film the same. Um, well, there's two ways I look at it. Like, you know, can I just be entertained by this? And it, I can have that suspension of disbelief and... I can just, you know, enjoy a movie. And then there's other movies, like the first time I saw Get Out, I thought it was, like, amazing and, like, didn't really get scared by it. But I was like, this is just very good filmmaking. This is what yeah. more horror movies should be like. Oh, it's and true then, horror. It's it's human horror. Yeah. It's nothing that, it, it, it's less of a, you know, boogeyman and more of a, this is, this is real life horror that people deal with and... Yeah, and it had that element of, um, yeah, the like whole like, uh, you know, brain transfer thing, and and all of that. So it had like some of those like, um, you know, fantastical elements of it, but mm-hmm. it was still grounded in reality and like, yeah. And I just saw um, us a couple months ago, yeah. and also fantastic, and didn't um, it didn't weigh so heavy on um, like current issues as much as get out did yeah and it was still so good like you know it was obvious that it was his um his filming style and his writing that you know make both those movies good movies and it's not just this like you know get out was not just like a hype machine or like because it was you know 
about things that we're facing in society right now. It was like just a good movie with with that on top of it. That's sort of like um you know those those elements to um you know those were elements used to tell the story that was already there. Yeah. Which is like a very a very cool way to um to incorporate like um bigger ideas into a story like you know have this fully fledged out amazing story and then you know have all those intertwining things of like um you know that's what the character's motivations are based on things like that and no like, totally um, the, this guy is extremely inventive with his use of just cinema uh and 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 breaking tropes and and taking uh just technicality of film and actually making something technically super solid yeah we're getting some very very good films coming out and like a24 is just top notch with everything they do. It's it's practically a joke now. It's crazy. Yeah, I have a I have a friend who is like debating on getting an A24 tattoo and that seems like <laughs> a little excessive, but if if they got it like that would be like I would have nothing, no judgment to put forward on that. The only opinion I could possibly have on it is that it's fucking awesome. That changes my worldview just because I had a, a friend of mine who had an A24 hoodie, and I thought that was a bit much, but I, I understand that. Yeah, tattoo is, uh, man, that's that's out there. Yeah, I mean... I wouldn't be against it. Yeah, I mean, I've thought about getting a tattoo for, like, a specific movie. I have a tattoo about a specific album. Um, so the idea of this, like, production company, like, even even if they didn't they stopped making films tomorrow there would be plenty enough to you know stand behind as far as like you know if you branded your body with this logo like it it's totally that would be totally justified all right we're uh, going to take a break here for a second so yeah we um Wanted to talk about that uh, the Bob Lazar documentary, uh, Area Fifty One and Flying Saucers. I know you just saw it recently. Interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah interesting stuff. Like, what did you? Um, what was your takeaway from? Uh, it, it's hard to say. This is this is one of those. Uh, the greatest thing about this documentary is that this is something that is actually. As far as production and stuff, it, it feels like it's fairly taken taken fairly seriously, rather, uh, and and they present it to you in not a sort of, oh, can you believe that the government was against this guy? Yeah. Oh, look at this! Like it, it it wasn't really on one side or the other. Kind of like presenting this evidence of this this story of this guy. This documentary was fantastic. I loved it because uh, the guy Bob Lazar he's talking about some stuff that makes. A lot of sense, and a lot of people are just trying to cover it up. Yeah, and the, like the the crazy. main angle on the documentary is like, you know, is is the other stuff that Bob Lazar says is is true, like about his background, like working for Caltech or going to school at Caltech. Yeah, that was really interesting. Going to school at MIT, so working at Los Alamos, um, and then later getting hired by um, that that other company. Um, that did all the uh, the recruitment for S four, um, but yeah, even mentioning S four like at a time that was like 
you know, 30 years ago where everybody, you know, there was, you know, some slight hints that there was this place called Area 51, but no one was talking about this other facility that he said he worked at. And then later it comes out that that's real. Here's a guy who comes out saying, hey, I have all these these crazy details. These I can draw out like schematics for you and stuff. He went to a hypnotist and, and, and dove really deep and try and get as much as he could out of himself. Um, and he has all these... He's speaking about the, this technology that they have at this base. Uh, he's, he's talking about the different uh, creatures that they've come across and whatnot. And it's 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 a crazy crazy idea it's it's so far out there that that it's unimaginable it's like no this is a totally a fake story and then it starts coming forward that a few things that he actually talked about before were were totally real um and it comes out only years later do do does the government actually like unclassify these documents and stuff but it's it's crazy the the things that he did get right you know, yeah the the certain mechanics behind like a uh a, a biometric reading that, that was in, instead of just scanning yeah. your hand, it, it actually measures the bones in your length hand. of bones in your hand. Yeah. And the fact that later somebody comes up and says, Hey, look at this picture that I found. This is good. This is something that was just released. Yeah. From the, uh, the F one seventeen project. That's what, um, yeah. To get into the hangar. Cause that was, you know, that's widely known that that was, you know, one of the things that they were testing at area 51, like area 51 was a lot of like, um, know aeronautics before it went into the field like that's where they first tested um all their stealth technology like the the f-117 f-22 things like that where they um you know just like large open space where they could really you know test these aircraft and they use the same yeah biometrics to get into this building that bob lazar is using at this um yeah this other facility s4 and the amount of detail he goes in to um you know, talking about element 115 that it's used for this um, like warp drive propulsion in the uh, the alien crafts, and later they discovered that like yes, this is a real thing, but they can't make it stable. It only exists for like a few seconds uh, when we try to create it in a lab. But there's just this like you know stable otherworldly version. They found a way to you know stabilize this element, or it occurs naturally due to um, you know, different atmospheric pressure or, or what have you, but yeah. Um, but the fact that he this about- this element does exist, and we just, you know, we don't have the technology to, um, we don't have the technology to actually make a stable form of this when we're uh, synthesizing it ourselves. But you know, what purpose would we have to synthesize this element? You know, I understand like the glory of discovering a new element, but like why? why this one yeah why this one specifically yeah no it, it's it's crazy him 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 talking about this element so long ago and this was supposed to be only synthesized in 2003 this element of yes. muscovium which is element 115 uh it, it's 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 one of these documentaries that really kind of if you're not open to hearing any of this stuff like it's it's not going to work for you necessarily, and and by work I mean just like, be interesting enough. Uh, yeah. If you, if you want to just throw this out as oh this is a bunch of like sci-fi nonsense, that's fine. You could do whatever you want, but if you if you're not going to come at it with a slightly open mind, then there, then there's no point. So what I'm trying to say is, if you do want to get into this, it, it you got to have a little bit of an open mind. But you start noticing like, 
oh wow some of these things are just not just coincidental it's it's there are so many things that are linked together with with proving that oh this could be real uh and the only thing that's stopping people from thinking that it's real is that when this technology is explained the sort of anti-gravity stuff is explained uh it's impossible to our world to to what we understand uh physics and mechanics to be it's impossible to be done uh but i guarantee you if you brought a uh an one of these jets you know back uh a hundred years even and been like hey check this out to anybody looking at that uh it, it would be completely alien and there's nothing to explain it there's no way to explain how that thing works and I mean, hey, uh, a DeLorean looks like a, you know, crazy spaceship to some farmers in 1955. No, it's it's absolutely bananas. So for, for people to just completely take this and, and disregard it as nonsense, uh, I, I would love to have a discussion with somebody because these concepts and these proofs that they have going on uh, within this documentary is so... It's pretty solid and everything kind of makes sense and uh and unfortunately just going down the rabbit hole again of like the opening your mind and stuff that there, there there are paths that feel uh true and real and god damn i sound like a crazy person but i don't even care to be uh open have an open mind and and, and to be open to the different things that no matter how crazy and impossible they may seem but to be open to like they only seem impossible because we don't understand them to be able to go towards the subject in that way uh, is is incredible to me. This this whole this whole thing was really well done, really well put together. Yeah, and I find it's very easy to um, dismiss a uh, like a piece of video of a flying saucer, but to see someone like draw draw out plans on camera of how this thing worked is like yeah. much more compelling because. Of like all the detail he had and then like the detail he didn't have because it would have been really easy for him to um like you talked about the uh the two stages of the uh propulsion system and then he said the upper deck is where it was controlled from and that wasn't what i was working on i was an engineer yeah i only worked with the propulsion system and that you know that totally tracks and that they would only let people work on this Absolutely. thing in a certain capacity and they didn't want one person to know how everything works because then they could Not just build their own fucking thing. And then like, you know, then everybody knows, like, you know, I, I just listened to, um, on a last podcast on the left, they interviewed, uh, Dan Aykroyd and he was talking about, um, like big, big nerd, make some great vodka too. Um, I don't know if you know him. He's in a he's starting a film called uh, Blues Brothers and uh, Ghostbusters, uh, but he's uh, he does this interview and they were talking I, about. I haven't seen those. I've seen uh, Ghostbusters too. Oh, he's in that as well. So um, yeah, so Dan Aykroyd's talking on this saying like the reason why we don't have comprehensive disclosure is like it's exactly why. You know, any laws are written, especially laws on, um, you know, controlled substances and everything like they want this certain amount of control or like why you can't um, distill alcohol in your house because they want taxes and like they want to yeah. be able to regulate any everything. 
So if there is this, um, you know, this alien race roaming around or that, you know, it's even like public knowledge that they even exist or we've been in contact with them, like, why would you listen to a military official? Why would you listen to a police officer? Why would you listen to your government? You're just going to be like, I want to talk to that guy. No, it, it, it's it's the craziest idea, which which makes this so fascinating and so... I, I don't want to use the word hopeful necessarily, but but it's like it, it it does make me hopeful for a lot of things because it's just believable enough. The way that he posits his, well, the way that he basically just says, "Look, you don't have to listen to me. I'm not forcing my myself and saying like, hey, this is totally true. You don't have to believe me at all. I'm saying this is what I saw, and you're asking me what I saw, and here is me explaining it. The that in, instead of I swear to you that this is totally real and like it, there there are so many times that you've seen people talking about UFOs and stuff and whether you believe them or not it, it's unlike this this guy is such a smart level-headed grounded person and it's and it's interesting to see that this is the this is how this kind of gets out if this is getting out you know what I mean like the way that this has all happened, the way that he's come out saying these things, the 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 way that uh, Muscovium has been synthesized in 2003, even though he was talking about it in the 70s, or whatever. it's it's there's some really fantastic evidence here to make me just my mind wander and and love what's happening. It's crazy. Yeah, and um, yeah, of course the government is going to say like, no, we don't have any record of this person and then it goes back to like you know mit and um caltech saying the newspaper and we stuff? have we have no record of this person either but yeah then there's um and los alamos said he never worked there but he was found in a directory for um for los alamos as well as a newspaper thing about uh rocket propulsion so it's like yeah you know how did i get hired at los alamos if i didn't go to caltech and um and uh, mit and he's like what they just hired me out of high school and then at that point it's like well if he's erased from those of course you know the government is going to deny that he worked there too because now that you know the location of s4 has been declassified you know that's yeah. you know more or less public knowledge now um that um yeah of course they're going to deny that too um so it only it only makes sense so it's like no, we really are only getting like his word of what happened there, but they can't really at this point, it's like much harder for the government to like, you know, silence people like this, but he's also not, you know, it was so long ago that he's not like, um, it's not the kind of thing where he's committing treason or anything like that. So there's not really, they can't just make this guy disappear. And if they no. were to, make him disappear then he's gonna then it's gonna be you know we're all gonna know that he's he's right like yeah it's a secret that keeps itself because they don't need to cover anything up because everybody just says like you know this guy's full of shit when people start talking about it yeah because it sounds crazy it's it's really interesting that that the it's it's almost there's there's this problem with the governments or or let's say powers that be like vanity in a way. It's like, oh man, this guy got information out. Well, we're gonna look bad like if more information comes out that he was totally right about this whole time. 
And it's like, well, we're just going to look bad. And it's like, why not just kind of, you know, fess up and be like, ah, oh, fuck, you know what? You were totally right. Let's do it. Let's just let this go. Because if you start, if you talk to the world and, and start talking about aliens, look, half of the world is not going to believe it. That's totally fine. Yeah. But you get that word out there. And, and then there's all this proof that starts mounting up. Like, you know, half the world didn't believe that 9-11 was going on until it was just some people like even just months later like do you see more and more footage and you start understanding oh yeah this actually happened or whatever so contact from something is is very important and this yeah. is something that has so much power and every you know people know that it has it holds this power of this could unite the entire world or it could destroy the entire world and it's just a matter of when you place this chess piece down basically right like Hey, we have this information of aliens, but what do we want to do with it? Do we want to wait until, you know, global warming gets so bad, then we fix it, which it's very easy to fix that we could have done so long ago or something, and we blame it on aliens and that global warming was just some, you know, giant invasion of aliens or something, and now we're all banded together, and somebody believes in that. Or do we say, hey, there's other stuff out there. This is more important now. Like, we, we are not just a bunch of people on a rock. Like, this is an entire living being and we need to understand that we need to be more connected and more understanding and empathetic and all that sort of stuff. But I really feel like this is that perfect sort of like the government, you know, whoever's in charge of this can do whatever the hell they want. And it's going to be really interesting to see the next, I don't know, decade, two decades. Yeah. Out. I would say right now it's probably not the best time because there has never been like a, uh, you know, less mistrust in the news media because the people, yeah the people who are trying to get the most truth out there are the same people who are getting the most criticism for not being truthful. It's a very like weird, weird time for news that we're living in right now. So I don't think like right now is the best time for that disclosure. I think it's not a, um, it's not under the best circumstances for us to come together. Like there's a lot of tension that needs to be resolved. And then come out and say like aliens are real they're visiting us and all the technology of the past 80 years have been reverse engineered from you know that so yeah like yeah it's just not um not ideal in the in the current climate um but that doesn't mean that it's not um yeah like 10 years down the road we're not looking at um you know a different uh, situation so no, I would really like to to talk with it. I just want to hear what this guy has to say because I don't, you know, it felt as if this documentary didn't dig as deep as I wanted it to go. One thing about it. Well, I mean, that, therein lies the problem. I mean, he made this documentary because uh, he doesn't want to talk about this stuff anymore. And then his very last thing he did... Um, Sure, we sure. don't really have to get into it too deep, but his last thing was um, um, appearing on Joe Rogan because he thought that would be the uh, yeah. you know, the widest audience he can get, so he doesn't have to talk about it again. Which, you know, you get a uh, you know four hours of conversation would, out of that perfect. show. I would like to check um, that out. So, yeah, I you know I don't mind listening to um, to Rogan's podcast occasionally, like when it's things. Well, like they've that, got interesting or, like, people. It's, it's fantastic. Like, things about ancient ancient egypt or you know now, I, I will say that i 
Um, but it's not like something I go after it. You can, go after you can now call me a fan of the Joe Rogan podcast just because of the shit that I found on there and, and the stuff that he talks about is, is great. Like he has such a broad spectrum of guests and it's not just, you know, I, 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 I hated it before I listened to it. Basically I'm thinking, what can Joe Rogan bring to a podcast? And it's pretty great for the most part. You know, I judge the man too soon, much, much like, uh, you know, my entire life I'm realizing that I judge things way too soon. I was thinking about this. I used to hate LA. I technically still hate LA. But why? It was because I had a few weird experiences maybe when I was like very young? Sure. Why should I still hate LA? Dodgers? Hey, I don't even care about baseball anymore. But I don't like LA. Why is that? Well now I'm realizing I'm just judging things before I actually get to experience them. David Lynch! I was never really a fan of his. Recently, right in the middle of Twin Peaks, I'm realizing I was an idiot and I never gave this a chance because this shit is unbelievable. And then I watched Blue Velvet and I, I'm done. The fucking way that this guy puts sets together and, and you know, what made me understand his work even more is that on Amazon, there's a documentary called The Art of David Lynch or, or uh, David Lynch, The Art Life. And he... It goes and he just talks about his creative direction and the the way that he goes about it and stuff and talks about his uh, paintings and sculptures and everything in between and just realizing how this guy's brain kind of works. It's just like fuck this. These are just dreamscapes that just like happened and he just puts it to screen basically, and I love it. And and he doesn't actually plan for much. He kind of like lets everything happen as it's going. He he didn't know who killed uh, Laura Palmer when he when he was writing that. He had no clue because he didn't want to know. He wasn't done writing it yet, but he just kept going because you know. he was forced to reveal reveal the killer. I I don't know that yet. Still, I still haven't seen season three. I'm uh, not done with season two or anything. So don't tell me anything. No, but... it was um like he, it was getting too weird, and it was like it was like Aww. six episodes into season two, and I think it was on yeah. ABC sounds right to me um oh what the, yeah like the the executives on there the producers were like hey you got to reveal this like we need something for sweeps week so he was like okay fine fuck and oh. then david lynch took like kind of a more back seat and didn't uh, direct as many episodes after that and then it turned into this weird wow. like it, there was like so much like uh of the like loose mysticism in the show that like you know, no one knows what's going on and there's kind of these ideas out there and then they just like, mm -hmm. once he started taking a, a back seat, they just made it all about this like giant government conspiracy and like that. Uh. They brought aliens into it and all of that and like, he wanted this to just be like a slow churning the whole time and that like, you know, he wanted it to be about the characters in this town where all this weird stuff is going no, exactly. on. And he didn't, he wanted it to get weirder and weirder. And then like, yeah, the whole, um, yeah, the whole reveal of it all. And it just like, kind of, yeah. I mean, most people say like, you know, watch season two up until like episode eight. Cause it just kind of sure. falls off after that. And then, the the revival thing, I think I only, I got to like episode 10 or 12 and that but like um but that's just by circumstance because i lost my showtime subscription 
Um, so I should go back and watch the rest of it, but like maybe you got to go out there and find it. <laughs> yeah, it's just um... <laughs> lost it. God. You lost your showtime. Um, but uh, Twin Peaks season three is just everything that David Lynch ever wanted to do on film. So it's kind of perfect, this, like crazy hodgepodge of things. But you also get like, you know over a dozen like david lynch 50 minute short films like that's what it kind of feels like and there is an overarching story but there is this kind of like loose um yeah like there's the scene have you seen any of season three no not at all because oh, i I'm, okay. I'm just like right in the middle of season two right now i don't want to i just started this a few much, months ago yeah, but, yeah don't like, tell me anything yeah but naomi watts is in this one side story and it feels so much like um like Mahalan Drive, like the way those Brad. scenes play out. It's like he brought her character from Mahalan Drive back into this show and it's like that's one kind of thing going on. And then there's this like like a weird road trip thing and like David Duchovny comes back and <laughs> um like I I will tell you this like this one line that it's like one of my favorite lines from television but he um david duchovny's character uh denise um she's gone on to be like a um you know like the like the vice director of the fbi something like sure. that um because i i think david lynch's character was the chief or maybe he was just the head of like one office yeah. um but um Denise is now his superior and she's like directing. I think she might be the director of the FBI at show. And um, I can't remember uh, Lynch's character's name, Cole. but he's like, he's yeah, Cole. Um, he's like, Denise, when you first got hired on and you were Dennis and you were going through your transition and the other agents didn't want to respect you and they they were awful to you but i believed in you and i told them to fix their hearts or die yes. and it was just like in that moment it's like yes like this is like you know everything um no to the fact that you know he brought that character back for this yeah. arc and then saying like you know i've always supported you and it's just like this like very cool thing that doesn't feel at all that he's like you know pandering towards a no. certain group it was just like no this is always what this character was this is always what i wanted out of this character absolutely he, he like... has such a love for everything like you know he has people i mean myself included people think of his shit as just like super dark nightmarish weird stuff but that's not it like his movies all of his movies are all about life no matter if it's super super stylized it really comes down to just life experiences and he is somebody yeah. who just gets it and i never understood how much this guy got it but he fucking gets it life it, it's just it's it's really cool to hear these point of views that he has and then to watch this documentary and then to watch more of the show and to hear that quote in general is just god damn it he's great there's a there's a nihilism in in the positive direction you know that that he takes on that i totally believe in and it's just it's great 
Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with that statement. Yeah, because I'm, I'm what, uh, you know, on the on the spectrum of of uh, you know, philosophical belief, I definitely lean towards the the whole nihilism thing. So, yeah. um, so yeah, and he's definitely, yeah, he's speaking my language a lot of the time. Um, but that also you talking about um, you know, this kind of slice of life thing. Um, in movies that um, brings me to the other thing I wanted to talk about. Uh, another director who does that is Paul Thomas Anderson. A he huge came, favorite. Yeah, and he just came out with that uh, new uh, short film on uh, on Netflix, uh, Animal. Yeah, how long was that thing? Uh, 15 minutes. And I gotta say, it took about like eight seconds in for me to like get fully immersed in this thing and like yeah. i could i could feel my eyes welling up within 10 seconds of of film of this it was yeah like absolutely gorgeous and you could just see this like amount of like you know pain in the mundane and like uh there's that that very first scene in it in the uh in the subway it's all of these people going through these movements that they would be doing over like an hour long period, like the entire bus ride, but it's happening in yeah. like three to four seconds. Increments. Yeah. And it's like all, it's like this train ride that lasts for, you know, 30 seconds on the film is really, you know, um, you know, 50 people's journey of like an hour and a half. And we're seeing like this little tiny segment of it and everybody's going through the same thing like everybody's having you know a, a shit day or like trying to you know just trying to make the time go by because they keep doing yeah you know, they're stuck in these like um these repetitive patterns every single day and um yeah no i was i was hooked from that very first scene and then it it just kind of takes off from there um yeah, the emotion there is what's really interesting. You've you've got two powerhouses of emotion. I mean, you've got Tom York, which arguably, you know, no matter what you think of Radiohead, the sounds that that band can produce, if nothing else, just has such a a human quality to it. This touch of of pure emotion, no matter what part of the sliding scale it's on. Um, every one of their tracks are, are fantastic and so to have Tom York in this this amazingly emotional band uh, you can't even really call them a band I don't think that the term band doesn't apply to Radiohead in my, my eyes I guess but Tom along with Paul Thomas Anderson who arguably is one of the best guys out there right now who's putting emotion on screen and this, this animalistic sort of nature of humans every once in a while I, I've I've been in love with that guy for far too long, and lucky Maya Rudolph gets to come home to that guy at night. What a hunk. Yeah, oh yeah. And I mean that uh, d- directing-wise and writing-wise. He's not too bad to look at either, but uh, yeah, he, they're, they're two fantastic people coming together that I didn't think that, that would happen. I mean, Paul Thomas Anderson has worked with Joanna Newsom in the past and has made some pretty nice stuff, but this is a whole nother beast. This anima is fantastic. Yeah, and the soundtrack was incredible. It was very, very good. Tom, you're doing a great job out there with the music side of things. 
Yeah, I'm not the uh, I'm not the biggest Radiohead fan, but I can appreciate I can appreciate what they're doing. Um, I love Tom York's work with uh, Flying Lotus too. That's oh yeah, they did a few songs together, and yeah, no, Anima was uh, yeah a lot of things I haven't seen in a long time. It felt like something you would go like into a dark room and it's playing on a projector in an art gallery, and it, and exactly. it's just like. Uh, Know, something that would play on loop and the idea that netflix is putting that kind of stuff together like i hope they make this into you know almost a series like get a different director to do these 15 minute things i mean i i think it was uh you know a project between tom york and paul thomas anderson but you know hopefully that gets netflix moving that like you know this kind of thing will work on our platform like, yeah no, I, I the the fact alone that then they've been uh, financing things like this is is message enough to be like fuck they're really trying to change things a little bit, and and to be so open because this is what I was I've been thinking about for a while which is like you know Disney is about to own every single corporation that's out there especially movie making wise yes, um, and and there's a lot of negativity to that but at the same time it's like well. If you've got billions of dollars to throw at anything, it's like they're going to take a lot more chances. I I hope. I I you know, hope one it doesn't. Hope I'm not do seeing that, that yet. Uh, but Netflix <laughs> has been doing that now. Unless you and it's unless crazy. you want to consider the Last Jedi taking a chance. Okay, <laughs> let me talk about this. We, we gotta upload we, this picture. Or we something. don't have to get into the I, Last gonna... Jedi. <laughs> We don't no, 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 no. I have, have to, to tell talk you that about that I, on the podcast. I found, I just want to say this, and I, I I need to put a link to this somehow. Some Guys, we're going to try and put a link out to this because I have to spread it. I found this recently, going through a bunch of stuff. I was moving my room around, and I found an old Wired magazine. Around the front cover, you got J.J. Abrams and Kathleen Kennedy and uh, Spielberg, and uh, you've got everybody who's in, you know, a couple of people with ILM and stuff, but mostly directors up there. And Ryan Johnson is up there. And in this picture, this this shot of them all in a studio, you know, it's made to look like they're all hanging out and sitting in chairs and stuff. Ryan Johnson has his foot on a stack of books. At the top of that stack is the script for Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. His foot is on it. This is before the movie was released or anything. This guy's already shitting down. He knows what he. He just wanted to destroy something. I don't know what's going on here. My world is broken. Maybe that's uh. That's a break in the simulation, and that picture was put in later. No way. No way, my friend. This guy knew from the beginning what he was doing. He was going to just wreck everything. Ruin it. One more thing about Anima. You know, you're talking about some choreography and, and how emotional it is and stuff. I, the greatest thing about this uh, is, is how well everything works together because obviously for like a perfect film let's say like everything's got to be on point if if the acting is a bit off here and there it might be able to be looked over but uh you got to make sure that you have a guy who knows what he's doing when he's filming stuff you got to make sure that you got the actors who are doing their things right every single aspect should be solid that's that's the dream to have everything go smoothly so that you have a perfect movie this is one of those things that hits there you, you've got the cinematography you've got the costuming you've got the lighting along with the set design i don't know where they were shooting this thing but it was awesome uh those those crazy stone faces with the with the shadows that play off of that was incredible and every single aspect of this 
just plays so well and no somebody might not enjoy this because it's like well what was the point or somebody might think of like what was this a movie i don't understand what it is but you're right this is this is another example of that just uh art that that's coming out now through film and and it's it's amazing to have this kind of stuff so accessible and yeah this is this is you know a high budget example of something but the fact that they're taking risks like this and putting this out for seemingly no reason other than the art itself is is amazing and to have actors and directors and producers be able to just make what they need to make what they want to make and have that sort of playground it's i can only imagine how it feels for some of these people to get gigs like this it's 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 kind of like you know this is this is peak career i feel this is what you've been working for your entire life it's great yeah or at least getting that shown to a wide audience yeah yeah getting your name out there more because you know, I'm going to drop the name again. There's this show called Too Old to Die Young. Fantastic show. And that is just the same thing. This this director is, is just going for it. And, it. and it feels... I love having these these filmmakers just kind of with loose reins. Just able to do whatever they want. It's fantastic stuff. And that brings us to, uh, you know, one of our final segments, which is Two for Two, uh, where we talk about two pieces of uh, media of some sort. Uh, so I got a couple things here. Um, I've got a um, an album and a uh, podcast. Um, I'll do the, the podcast first. Uh, it's called nice. The Story Must Be Told. It's uh, created by these uh, two New York comedians, uh, Reed Failer and Andrew Short. It's like individual stories each episode, but they all take place under the umbrella of this um, fictional cult. And it's... Um, oh, cool. It's usually... Uh, basically, it exists in an alternate world where everything is covered in grease. Um, and it's just, like, fascinating. They get so into it that it's just like, do these motherfuckers actually believe this shit? Um, but I just listened to, yeah, sound um, design and stuff. oh yeah, full sound design. Um, there's even a, um, you know, they have like a recorded congregation in some parts of it. Cause yeah, it all takes place in this like super weird world. I just listened to, uh, one of their more recent short stories ones and they play out like, um, it's like old 4chan fan fiction. It's just like just strangeness. It sounds some of it sounds like it's like written by like a 16 year old kid and it's just like and then this thing because like it's just so like it's so wild and just like full of filth and like in the funniest way possible and yeah no it's great. I definitely would uh, recommend that. It's on the last podcast network but definitely check out the story, story must, must be, be told. Fantastic. Um, no, I have not heard of that one, and that sounds pretty uh, right up my alley. Yeah. Oh no, it's it's great, and every yeah every week it's different. They have some uh, some guests on there too, doing um, doing stories that they've written. Also, just you know, sometimes they're just doing a monologue that was written by uh, mm -hmm. you know, Reed and Andrew. Um, and that brings me to my second thing I wanted to talk about. The Walker Brothers, specifically their album Night Flights. Um, Scott Walker recently passed away. I think it was um, like earlier this year or maybe late last year. Uh, but fantastic band. Great album from 1970. 
they um, started off as this kind of like a sort of just like a like a rock and roll kind of crooning band, you know, similar to like a, the like um, the Everly Brothers, mm. something like that. And they just kind of got mixed in with all these other bands and just like, uh, you know, different bands became more popular and they kind of fell to the, the wayside because there were so many bands that sounded alike. And then they come around in 1978 and just make this like weird, like half rock, half electronic album, like very orchestral sounding um, called Night Flights. And um, yeah, a little bit of a crossover here, the song The Electrician is featured in the Nicholas Winding Refn film, Bronson. It's the very first track that... Ah, uh, yeah, you were... Um, but fantastic album. Did you not play this at some point during a set, maybe? Yeah, but uh, but yeah, great album. I mean, the title track is awesome, too. It's great for, like, uh, if you're, like, got a long, flat drive on a highway, it's great. Um, but yeah, several amazing songs in that album. They've... They've got several albums. I know Scott Walker has four solo albums himself, too. So, yeah, definitely I would check them out. They are very good. Um, well, that has been written down in my must-listen-to list. Yeah, and uh, how about you? Two for two, what do you got? Oh, two for two. Well, you know... Let's- Start out uh, with something keeping in theme with your Grease podcast. Uh, story must be told. I uh, this movie recently popped in my head again and and, and made me. Re- you know, it, there are movies which I had recently watched and I just can't get out of my head. Then there are those movies that I just can't stop thinking about just nonstop for whatever reason, and I don't know why. Uh, this movie is The Greasy Strangler. Uh, the Greasy Strangler by uh, Jim Hosking is a fantastically strange, just... There's no way to describe it. I can only I can only say like a cross between Napoleon Dynamite, David Lynch, and... Tim and Eric. Tim yeah. and Eric, there you go. Perfect. And uh, you, you know this, this film quite well. Uh it's another one of those movies that's out there it's like i i'm so glad that production companies are taking chances on this weird shit because i don't none of this stuff would have been able to be made you know even just 10 years ago i don't think yeah absolutely yeah Yeah. i I like the it's really the weirdest we got 10 years ago was wes anderson and this is just like taking that kind of um same feeling we got from wes anderson you know 20 years ago but it's like you know bringing that forward to now like how ridiculous something can be and oh yeah. man i love that movie so much it's probably in my top 10 favorite movies of all time it's it's great yeah it's 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 slowly crawling up there what's what's interesting is uh my taste in movies hasn't necessarily changed but it has evolved recently to just i uh i don't remember a better time that i just loved movies in a way of of like i love all the trashy just popcorn action flicks because they're just very well made these days and uh you know there's a bunch of like neo grindhouse stuff going on i mentioned direct cross concrete recently um 
And then there's the strange side of stuff like Greasy Strangler. That that's just a whole nother game of film. That's that's it's hard to put your finger on. I don't know if anybody really can, but it, it's just it's so fresh because it's so twisted and strange without just being twisted for twisted sake. Like there's there's something going on with the, all these guys making these movies these days, and I'm liking it. Yeah, and that uh, yeah, uh, Jim Hosking also. Uh... Yeah, an evening with Beverly Laughlin. That's very good as well. I would definitely recommend that. It's got a, a friend of mine did the lighting on that movie. Helped out. Yeah, it's it just takes it to further. Whereas, like the Greasy Strangler had like really goofy music, um, and it was a slasher movie. This is like mm-hmm. a drama with horror movie music. It's so the how disjointed the like all the lines are set in the movie and the music with what's going on in the scenes it's like you know you're watching a comedy but it's kind of like pulling you in and out and actually like having these really dramatic moments or these like really heartfelt moments or in the greasy strangler like this like horror that's being juxtaposed with this like insanely like goofy like casio keyboard soundtrack it's yeah like yeah it's the amount um that like things are like disjunct in it is like so so refreshing and it's filmed in such like i mean both of these movies are filmed in such like a weird like you know goofy way but from an eye that like knows what film should look like and it's Absolutely. That's what's so cool about this stuff. The, the the strange amalgam of things these days or the juxtaposition, whether thematically or, or, you know, stylistically, cinematically. Yeah. Uh, two for two. This is my two from the two. A list of two. Number two. Uh, music. I've really... Uh, it's interesting that uh, taste in movies has changed a bit, but more evolved uh, along with my taste in music. And I think it's just getting a bit older. Maybe that's doing it, but uh, I'm getting way back into a bunch of jazz that I've, you know, forgot about uh, jazz and classical music. And there, there was a time recently where I was listening to George Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue almost every day before work or something as I'm walking to work. So along with this sort of more classical lean, uh, there's a man named Christophe Chassol, a uh, French guy who's been doing some crazy stuff. Talk about like juxtaposition of themes and uh, mismashing stuff. Like he has certain tracks that are just field recordings of birds whistling back and forth, and he'll figure out a tune to come in. You know, this repeating track of birds, and he'll come in with his keyboard, and and he has these very interesting minimalist pieces along with just you know he takes these really simple ideas and lets them bloom and and most of his track kind of bloom before your eyes they're they're, they're just they've, they've got this sense of wonder and the sense of uh just sheer ingenuity and freshness and so i've, I've been chassol for a while this c-h-a-s-s-o-l i highly implore anybody to uh, check this yeah, out. They are, Spotify. They are fantastic. I I saw them. They are inhuman. I saw them open for uh, Flying Lotus and Solange at the uh, Greek Theater in Berkeley, and like now that sounds like a hell of yeah, a show. Yeah, it was. 
God, it damn. was great. Uh, but they had um, it was footage from people all over the world singing or yeah. playing, like depending on the instrument, um, you know, performing this like song of their village. And then they, it was Chessel who would do um, some vocals as well as piano. And then he had a drummer and they were just improvising along with these, these recordings from these villages. And it was like, everybody had their like breath taken away by these two guys that are playing to, to a screen. And then about halfway through their set, maybe a little bit over halfway, they lost their uh, feed. The projector stopped working. So then they said like, Oh, our video's not working now. We're just going to play for you. And then they played like an extra, like 20, 25 minutes of just improvised piano and drums. And it was fucking beautiful. And that's right. Yeah. If you, I mean, you Taylor and the Royal you of our audience, if you get the chance to see chess soul live, definitely don't pass that up. It's amazing. I won't. Uh, well, I think that, uh, just about wraps it up. Um, I think we'll, uh, yeah, we'll be talking to you next week. And, um, yeah, before we go, I just wanted to give a, a quick shout out. Um, we are uh, now members of uh, Horndog Productions with our friends uh, Dune Boys. And there's a few other shows that haven't been released yet that I can't quite talk about. Um, so we're, uh, we're excited to be part of that. Yeah, listen to uh, Dune Boys and um, the other podcasts on the uh, Horndog Network. Um, and a quick shout out to our friends on Twitch. That's uh, Jack AM, um, Ghoul's Night Out. And live with Fartsler, that's hosted by uh, Joe Hartsler. Um, and then, um, good guy. Yeah, another podcast to listen to, uh, The Deep End. Um, so yeah, just wanted to shout out uh, some uh, some friends of the pod as they were. And um, yeah, we'll talk to you guys next week. Little shout out there to uh, Ren Giesick. They spell their last name G E I S I C K. Find them on Spotify. They they're they're turning things around a bit and having more of like a country western lilt to uh their style of singing and production and stuff and i i made a little cover uh for one of her singles out there which is if you can take them you can have them and uh it's it's fun hearing the sort of a you know a local uh patsy klein if you will in so many ways uh but but she's got great stuff out there so so maybe check her out you know so i did art for it other than that no it's it's just a normal uh it's just a normal sign-off from me, from me, Taylor. I love you. Well, that just made my day, and I love you too, James. Bye. Bye.